Pace Line is produced by the Cycling Independent with the support of subscribers like you and additional underwriting from Shimano North America. We are community-focused, community-supported, and dedicated to the whole of cycling. Always remember, at the Cycling Independent, if you ride bikes, you're one of us. From the Cycling Independent, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, and with me is my co-host, John Emlin Robot Lewis. Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. Um, so this is supposed to be like a momentous episode or something? It's our 300th episode! Actually, it's your 300th episode! <laughs> I... You know, there were two episodes I think I missed with Hottie and Fatty, so maybe it's only 298 for me. So oh. the, 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 show, the show is older than any one host. Oh, I like that. I like that. Well, it's way older than me, uh, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, so in 300 episodes, what have you learned? Um, to sit closer to the mic. Oh. <laughs> I'll save um. that for later then. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> something I am uh, kind of perpetually coaching you to do. Um, yes. Uh, what have I learned? Um, I like cyclists. I really like <laughs> cyclists. Um, you know, I, I mean, truly doing this show and uh, for everybody actually listening to this, I, this is completely ad-libbed. I did not think about this ahead of time. Um, I only saw your question about 10 minutes ago. I, I mean, doing the show has been, uh, something that, well, it started with me not kicking and or screaming, but I was reluctant. Uh, I was reluctant, even though, you know, I've done all sorts of recording in the past. It was always while I was hitting things. Um, I, I was super reluctant to do a podcast. Uh, I was worried about whether or not I would be any good at it. I was worried about whether or not people would find my voice annoying. Uh, turns out everyone does. Um, <laughs> Same. <laughs> um, but doing this show and, you know, producing a show that reaches people and what we consistently hear back is that there's a human authentic aspect to the show that people resonate with, which is why we have an audience. And doing this has been really just a, a terrific privilege. I'm a very, very lucky guy. I get to talk about one of my favorite things in the whole world uh, to people who love that thing just as much. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I you could ask that silly question. Does it get better? Well, yeah, there are better things, but this is an awfully good thing. Yeah, I, I confess, when you started the pace line, this was back in the Red Kite Prayer days, mm -hmm. uh, you started the pace line, and I thought, well, I don't know, I'm a writer, I don't know what I would, why you would do that. <laughs> and I steadfastly stayed away from any podcasting uh, for many years, several mm -hmm. years. Mm -hmm. um, but it is fun in its way. Yeah. It, it's different. 
than writing, mm-hmm. uh, but not mm-hmm. completely different. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I've found really intriguing about this is that um, people hearing our voices, they connect to us in a way that doesn't happen when it's strictly the written word. There is a, a higher degree of identification. Uh, you know, my my favorite compliment that we ever get, and we've gotten it a number of times, has been... You know, I feel like I'm just sitting around with my friends after a group ride and we're talking, you know, just having coffee and talking. And that was very much a part of my cycling life for many years. Uh, And so to to create that atmosphere uh, for others who aren't, you know, sitting three feet from me. That's really neat. I I really like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and I do think like of the podcasts I listen to, uh, that is also what I enjoy. It's the inter, it's the chemistry between the people and the, uh, the banter as my, um, as my British forebears would say. <laughs> Very much. Uh, you know, when I, and like with so many things, when I started this, I never thought about like sort of any sort of, uh, exit strategy. Um, I didn't, I didn't think about what my role in the show was going to be. I was going to be somebody who'd talk about cycling. Um, and my role has, uh, evolved quite a bit from what it was, uh, initially with fatty and hottie. Um, I defaulted to comic relief an awful lot while also maintaining the elder cycling statesman who had worked on, you know, every Campagnolo group ever made and, Mm. <laughs> all that sort of thing. And it was a, it was a role that I, I, you know, self-selected into, um, but it was maybe not the best use of my talents. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think it's only good if it evolves. So, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. we'll see what happens. Um, yeah. One of the other things that's very curious is, you know, there's not as much crossover between our readership and our listenership. Um, that Venn diagram, those two circles do intersect, but they are not like concentric circles. Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm actually grateful for both. I think if, if we had, if I had joined the podcast and then discovered that no one wanted to read anything I wrote anymore, I'd be pretty bummed out. Uh, I spent, you know, six months like that. Uh, yeah. you know, it took me a long time to really, uh, come to the realization that, oh, this is, this is mostly different people. Um, mm. uh, and there's something to be said for going where the audience is. Uh, I, I like the printed medium still. I love magazines. Uh, I love books. I want to write some books, uh, more books. Um, but, you know, given the crazy lives that we lead today, um, producing spoken word work is, uh, it's a pretty effective way to reach people. We want to harangue people wherever they are on whatever (laughs) device they're holding. (laughs) Well, uh, I won't disagree with you. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> All 
righty. Well, well, let's move into the, the show proper. Well, as this is our 300th episode, I'd just like to mention the people who came before me in this chair. Okay. Eldon Fat Cyclist Nelson. Fatty. Yep. Fatty. Nelson, uh, Michael Hottie Hotton. Yep. Uh, Celine Fit Chick Jaeger. Yep. Uh, and Patria Vandermark. Who had no nickname. No nickname. Yeah. I, get, I should work on that. I should work on that for her. Anyway, <laughs> I arrived as a, a temporary solution after Patria left to attend to her bike shop, which uh, turns out to be a full-time job. <laughs> and and uh, I did not honestly expect to be here this long doing this podcast. I thought that I was warming the seat for a few weeks uh, while we found someone uh, more charming. <laughs> um. I'll say that I learned a lot from previous co-hosts, and even then it took me a fair few episodes to figure out how podcasting works. Mm-hmm. Uh, if if I've even figured it out yet, probably not. I hope what comes across is what I always got from those who came before me, which is, you know, that sense of a love for cycling, uh, of a willingness not to know everything about bikes mm-hmm. or not to try to appear like I know everything about bikes. And uh, for me, anyway, a strong urge to laugh about all of it because I just can't take it too seriously. Um, And I think that's what the pace line is. You talked about this. It's, you know, it's kind of a conversation among friends about what's good about riding bikes, Mm -hmm. uh, which turns out to be a fairly infinite conversation. Um, And while I'm on this topic of those who came before, I'd like to acknowledge that I didn't learn much about bikes on my own. Uh, It was almost always a friend who dragged me forward in cycling terms. Uh, Maybe they taught me to jump better when I was a kid and still trying to get off the ground all the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, Or they taught me how to climb more efficiently on a road bike. Mm -hmm. Um, Or when to spin and when to hammer. Uh, I remember once uh, being on a ride with a friend of mine and we were off the front. I don't know how we got there, uh, but we were off the front and I said, should we sit up and wait for these guys? And he said, we're going downhill right now, John. If you touch those brakes, I'm leaving you. (laughs) And I thought, thought, yeah, that's right. That's right. (laughs) And then, you know, later I started working in the industry and I learned so, so much You know, I'd been in and around bikes forever, but I learned so much from shop owners and mechanics I worked with Mm kind of like all over the world. Uh, Tony at Velosmith was uh, one great source. Mm -hmm. Um, The crews at River City Bikes and Wheat Ridge Cyclery. That's, you know, Portland, Oregon and uh, Denver, Denver Denver Metro. Paul at Perfect Fit in Florida. Mm-hmm. Uh, Phil and Jules at Cycle Fit in London. Uh, who else? The guys at ES Korea uh, and SimWorks in Japan. Mm-hmm. And then there's there's everyone at Seven Cycles, and I'll say more about them later. But I'm leaving a lot of people out. But the point is, even though we have this podcast, I like to think we're just kind of nodes on this network of information and experience. Yeah. A podcast maybe amplifies our signal, but I'm only broadcasting knowledge and let's be honest, a lot of opinions uh, (laughs) that I heard from other people in the network. Uh, Some of that is you, of course, Patrick, Mm -hmm. uh, and some of it's Stevel 
Certainly, everyone is influencing me. And if you're a regular Paceline listener, no matter how far back in the 300 episodes you go, I appreciate that you're tuned into this network of people that I just happen to be uh, a mouthpiece for. And I'm here in the co-host chair for I don't know how long, but I think any of the people I just mentioned could be sitting here in my place. And, you know, maybe some of them might be one day uh, broadcasting the good word. And I think the pace line would be great uh, because it's just sort of the radio station of riding bikes. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and to echo what you've just shared, uh, I would not be in this position without a great many teachers as well. Uh, one of the ones you mentioned, uh, Tony Bustamante at Velosmith. Uh, to those who've been reading my work for a long time, uh, the handful of you among our listeners, uh, Tony is Radio Freddy from the Belgium knee warmers days. Uh, and you know, one of the things about uh, Tony that really is pretty instrumental to this day was him helping me uh, see the audience as um, as friends, as allies. Uh, very often, the comments that we would get on our posts were either entirely positive and celebratory or critical. And... Uh, Back then, I mean, I was still, I was still, you know, pretty deep in depression and didn't know it. And so I got quite combative with uh, people who would uh, comment negatively uh, about the work. And Tony helped me see that, you know, maybe the tone that I struck uh, because I was, uh, I'd been so trained to write forcefully uh, for magazines, that was maybe not the most helpful way to respond to people who'd bothered to tune in to what we were writing. <laughs> right. Um, and so, you know, that was, yeah, he was, uh, an important part of my, uh, shall we say media education, even though I'd already been writing for publication for quite some time, writing for blogs was a different sort of thing. And interacting with your audience was a, uh, a different sort of thing. And, uh, holy cow. Yeah. Maybe they're actually friends, even if they don't a hundred percent agree with you that <laughs> that took some learning on my part uh you know uh there's a friend of mine david duber uh who's in the tahoe area uh truckee actually and um back my first year at umass amherst uh my first year of graduate school i had just joined the umass cycling team but i lived eight miles away from campus in northampton dave lived in Northampton. And so we would go out and do training rides together. Anytime I didn't have time to ride the eight miles to Amherst and join the cycling team. And that guy taught me more through suffering, taught me more about suffering, made me suffer more than anyone (laughs) else had in my life up to that point. Um, I'll never forget the day it, you know, it was March raw, uh, occasionally spitting rain. There, there's a headwind. We're doing 25 miles an hour down this farm road in Hadley. And he turns around and looks over his shoulder and he's like, you know what I like about you, Patrick? Uh, no, no, Dave. I, I, I don't know what you like about me. <laughs> you know, 
I wanted my head to cave in right then. He's like, you don't complain. <laughs> and then he accelerated. He accelerated. Uh, and so, yeah, that, that, that knowledge of, of what it is to suffer, um, I came by it honest. And, uh, you know, Dave's, uh, Dave's attitude about its inevitability and it being a rich part of the overall cycling experience, I think really did shape my perception of cycling in a significant way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's always someone else. I have, I have had very few original cycling ideas. (laughs) I've always, (laughs) I've always, I mean, maybe my, uh, maybe the gift I have is to respond to the correct stimuli. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, let's go ride this. Okay. Uh, that looks dangerous. Okay. You know, uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh, people who see things, I don't, it's all good. Um, but it's also uh, within the industry, uh, the insights that all of those people that I mentioned, uh, shared with me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, heck my ability to work on bikes, my ability, not just work on bikes, but, to figure out what it was that I needed to do or how to accomplish something. If I didn't have exactly the right tool, mm. Hal Mabry, uh, now former owner of the peddler bike shop in Memphis, Hal was working on the other side of the park, double tool stand, uh, bike stand, uh, uh, at the peddler when I first started there. And, uh, that dude taught me more stuff uh, you know, tricks that I use to this very day. Um, and, uh, every time I get back to Memphis, you know, he's near my, near the top of my list of people to go hang with. Um, yeah. Um, and it's a shame that he's not still running that shop, but that's, uh, that's an issue with Trek and, uh, we're not going to go there today. No, 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 no. Well, I hope that wasn't all too sappy anyway, but that was my pull for today. It was, it was probably a little sappy. Um, and that's okay. Uh, you know, somebody was asking me about, uh, you know, the, the position of, of cycling in my life. And I said, you know, it's, it's not the most important thing in my life, but it's an integral part of my life. Nearly all of my friendships have cycling in there somewhere there are some writing friends writing friends people other people who also play with verbs uh but and then you know there are there are some genuine friendships from my high school days um which is why i made the trip back to memphis for my high school reunion uh, a couple weeks ago but you know at nearly every turn the relationships i have in my life with people who I really trust. And this is the thing it's in cycling that I've come to learn to trust people in a way that doesn't happen, you know, just meeting them at the grocery store or whatever. Uh, There's a, there's a different sort of bond, a different sort of trust that I have come to respect and appreciate and value. Um, And the way I value that has played out in demonstrable ways, not deliberate ways, but certainly demonstrable. Just everywhere I turn, those relationships have been forged in cycling. Yeah, I think you I think uh, doing hard things together brings people together. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I don't want to harp too much on the suffering piece because a lot of it is just fun too, but Oh sure. Um it's both type one and type two fun, but I think uh doing all of those things with other people it exposes a lot about what your what your character is uh mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. lets you trust and lets you understand people better. Yeah. Uh, as a corollary to this, there's a story about, uh, the great psychologist, uh, Carl Jung being at a dinner party. And after the, the dinner part of the party was over, uh, they went outside in the backyard of this, uh, great estate to play a game. And initially everyone was just, you know, it was, it, it was kind of like, a uh, tag football or something, you know, just, it was, it was not um, especially physical. It was just a little bit physical. It was polite. Mm-hmm. And uh, the account of the evening was that Jung would not back off. He would not um, rest until everybody was fully in it, sweaty, you know, shirt collars unbuttoned, um, you know, grass stained knees the the game whatever it was they were playing they had to be fully invested so that the mask dropped oh he wanted the masks down and he wasn't going to rest until that happened um and i think that's one of the things you know it, yeah we can leave the suffering part out but in a certain sort of way cycling does help us to lower the mask mm. as we both sit here in stunned silence at that statement. (laughs) (laughs) But then, you know, this is what writing is for me, uh, blundering my way into these truths. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I mean, that's, I mean, that's, that's it. You sit down at the keyboard and just try to say true things. Mm -hmm. Um, and sometimes it doesn't, when you say it that way, it seems easy, but, uh, there's truths under the truths and uh, eventually hopefully you get to the real ones and and hopefully people who come along for the ride no pun intended um they see that they see that and they and it they learn to trust you because you've been square with them yeah yeah there's there's little in my life that is as satisfying as writing something that someone else then says yep that was my experience. The, right. the line recently uh, about tandeming um, uh, in the uh, uh, piece uh, N plus one is self-care. Right. Uh, someone commented about how a line that I'd written about tandeming uh, was very true to their experience of tandeming. Mm. And, you know, uh, I can't really take those moments to the bank, but uh, I am a rich man as a result <laughs> of those things the that's yeah one of the finest things in my life is when someone says yeah that you hit it that's that's what that thing is that's right yeah Alrighty, uh maybe we should uh take a break for our sponsor let's do it yeah love the sponsors yes Alrighty, we will be back this podcast is brought to you by shimano um uh, this is a recurring theme with me, but uh, 
when when Shimano put out their GRX component group, their gravel specific componentry, my first uh, reaction was really we need a we need a gravel specific uh, component group. Um, but you know, as is always the case in my history, I ended up uh, getting some, uh, putting it on my bike. I have a GRX Di2 one by setup on my uh, gravel bike, which is my go to my do everything bike, and I love it. So much. I love it so much. It's not a road group and it's not a mountain group, but it does exactly what I wanted to do out on the trail uh, in a way that I didn't I didn't imagine or could have conceived of before it came out. So there you go. Innovation from a company that doesn't probably have to innovate, uh, but does and keeps after it. And so we're proud to have them as sponsors of the podcast. Okay, we're back with the Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. What's your pull this week? So we have a listener question from Rose Dave, whose handle, and I'm guessing taste in wine, I dig. Uh, he asked, I'd love to hear about what to do with old bike parts in a future episode. And uh, hey, Dave, uh, Rose Dave, this is the future. Um, <laughs> should I throw away broken Shimano shifting systems? Rebuild them? Recycle? And how? What about old tires and tubes? I've got a garage full of this stuff, and I can't be the only one. Uh, the inflection is entirely mine. Uh, Dave wrote this, <laughs> so I can't say that he was nearly as enthusiastic as I am. I do love this question because I, like Rose Dave, have at times had, shall we say, an excess of old bike parts hanging around in my garage. Um and even now, there, there are things that need to find another home, and I just haven't been able to. There are a few different solutions for this dilemma, uh, and in my estimation, all of them pretty terrific. Okay, first up, the question of fixing old stuff, particularly shifting systems. So I'm happy to endorse opening up Campagnolo and SRAM shifters. They aren't that hard to work on. So long as someone has a well-stocked toolbox, um, and I should add patience, um, Shimano STI shifters, uh, require plenty of spare time and determination in addition to, uh, those other things. Patience isn't quite enough. You need determination as well. I've only worked on a Shimano shifter once. And, uh, for me, that was, that was like, uh, it wasn't on my bucket list, but, the once was enough. Um, <laughs> I do highly recommend reading Leonard Zinn's Zen, uh, sorry, Zinn and the art of road bike maintenance, uh, for clues about working on STI shifters. Um, man, STI, uh, those levers are a good deal harder than SRAM or campy shifters to work on. Um, there are springs that, um, once sprung are hard to unsprung and respring. Um, and I have no idea if that's the proper derivation uh, of those. Yeah. Uh, I was busy thinking about the spring being somewhere on the floor. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, never to be seen again, but go on. Yeah. Uh, that's, that is only one of the issues that one can encounter. Um, here's why I only warn people and don't, Tell folks not to do it. The satisfaction that comes from fixing a shifter 
is absolutely sublime. It ranks higher than bleeding a dry hydraulic brake system. That is a brake system that has no fluid in it whatsoever. Um, that is crazy difficult. I don't like doing it. Uh, getting it right finally was very satisfying, but I'll tell you that fixing a shifter is more satisfying. Uh, I'm not entirely certain why that is. It doesn't seem to have any objective uh, measure for it. Uh, on the score of tubes, I'll say that on Saturday afternoons, if I wasn't racing, um, after I got back from my training ride, ate lunch, showered, napped, I'd put on HBO and watch a movie as I patched a dozen or so tubes. Um, I'd collect the flats in a uh, grocery bag in my garage. And once the bag was full, I'd have what I called a patching party. Um, I will admit <laughs> that the practice ended when I had a run of tubes that I hadn't patched properly. <laughs> I think I hadn't worked hard enough to sand the mold release off the tubes and each of those patches leaked. Um, of course, I generally only found this out when I was like yeah. 40 miles from home. Yeah. <laughs> um, it became a, a joke among a couple of people who were there for a, a succession of these events. Um, so for, uh, yeah, I, <clears throat> yeah, I stopped. Um, I, I deemed my, t my time more valuable as with so many things in life. The question is, can you afford the time? I love working on bikes, but I don't have nearly as much time to do it as I once did. Uh, I plead two boys. Um, that time is now more precious, harder to come by. So patching tubes isn't really a thing anymore. Uh, for stuff that isn't to be fixed and kept, but rather donated, I have a couple of recommendations. <clears throat> so Trips for Kids is a national organization whose mission requires no sales pitch to you listeners, I'm thinking. They are a charity that provides cycling trips to underprivileged kids. Uh, they accept donations of all things bicycle. Uh, and like Goodwill or Salvation Army, they will give donors a receipt stating the value of what was donated. Anyone who itemizes their taxes will find this to be a very useful outcome to old bike parts. Uh, in the past, I've made several donations to Trips for Kids Sacramento chapter. They have a Marin County chapter. Those folks are pretty well stocked up on good stuff. Sacramento, not doing quite as well. Uh, the delight the guy who greeted me displayed made me feel <laughs> weirdly elitist the first time I've visited. You know, I was giving them castoffs, stuff that had life but wasn't especially useful to me anymore. But he was receiving treasure. Uh, you know, so there was this this slight disconnect where it's like, gosh, maybe I should feel better about this stuff I'm giving away. Um, but it did feel really good to donate stuff that was so well received. Um, and the next time I visited them, that was much more my experience. Uh, many communities also have some sort of bike co-op that is a place that helps people with repairs carries new parts for cheap and often sells used or refurbished parts as well as uh, used and refurbed bikes. Um, they may not give receipts the way Trips for Kids does, though. Um, 
There's one other uh, thing that I've done in the past. Uh, I did a bike tour in Jamaica back in, I think it was 2015. Um, and the woman who runs the bike tours in Jamaica, she does them at the very uh, margins of the tourist season. Um, when it's either just beginning to cool off in the fall or that that last bit before it's just completely unreasonably hot and humid in Jamaica, she will run a week long bike tour that circles most of Jamaica. Um, and the the guide to client ratio is nearly one to one. Um, she gets all the local masters racers uh, that uh, who ride for the team that she sponsors. Uh, she runs a tour company, so she's busy taking people to waterfalls and stuff like that. And, uh, then, uh, Usain Bolt's personal bodyguard is a motorcycle cop. Most of the rest of the time, he drives interference with us along with one other motorcycle cop and the tour will fly into a city 25 miles an hour, uh, you know, any sort of community and they will block each of the stoplights and we will go sailing through intersections at 25 miles an hour uh, with guys reaching down and pulling the empty bottle out of your bottle cage, dropping back to the bus behind us, getting it filled with uh, ice cold Gatorade and then bringing it back up and shoving it back in the bottle cage without you missing a single pedal stroke. It's a really, really cool bike tour, unlike any other bike tour I've done anywhere else on Earth. And uh, what she supplies a great many of these riders with their equipment. And so what some of these guys are able to do, um, I, they're riding bikes at 32 miles an hour that I don't think should be able to roll. Uh, and so I have uh, on two occasions previously shipped a bunch of stuff to her Miami condo. And then she, when she visits the States brings boxes back with her, to avoid the uh, tariffs. Um, and so that's, uh, that is something that I have done and I have rounded up other stuff for her. Um, that's a, that's a neat little thing that helps a lot of, um, truly poverty stricken cyclists in Jamaica. Cool. What would you do, John? What, what, what are your alternatives? Uh, here in Boston, bikes, not bombs is uh, uh -huh. Uh -huh. a very active uh vigorous presence uh like when we were at seven uh periodically skip brown the head machinist would uh put together a little not even a little he'd put together a large pile of stuff uh to go to bikes not bombs and everyone would sort of pitch in uh something um and i've recommended them to other people and had good good results that way very cool the other the other thing I do, and we've talked about this before, is just generally speaking, if I'm not using a bike part, I will give it away. Mm -hmm. um, very seldom do I think later, oh, I wish I still had that. I mean, it has happened, but mm -hmm. not on a level that I have any regrets. So, um, you know, mostly this goes to like neighborhood bike projects for, for kids mm -hmm. um, or like kids who are... And this is pretty exciting. It's like the kid who 
realizes, oh, the bike is going to be part of their life. It's sort of like they're stepping into like bike adulthood. Mm -hmm. Maybe Mm -hmm. they're building their first proper road bike or whatever they need a, or they're, you know, a good friend of mine took his uh, 26 inch uh, mountain bike from the nineties and put new stuff on it. And I contributed like a crank and some brakes Mm -hmm. and uh, they they turned it into this really cool bike. Um, So I think just finding people who are working on little projects, um, people tend to sort of come to me for like uh, go fish style. Hey, do you have any? (laughs) Uh, And I mean, anymore, I don't have much because I've given most of it away. But uh, that's a pretty gratifying thing because then you get to see the stuff spinning around your neighborhood later. Yeah. Uh, You know, because of the press intros I've been to for stuff, you know, I'm I'm given apparel, I'm given parts, I'm given helmets. And uh, there are some families uh, who you know, dad or mom or one of their sons, uh, are part of the circle of riders that I'm, I'm with, I mountain bike with out in Occidental. And, uh, some of those folks don't have a whole heck of a lot of money, or maybe they have six kids and as a result, don't have a whole heck of a lot of money. And so it feels good to pass on things that are extra for me to them. Yeah. Yeah. I, I try to, I try to not to keep extra things, just generally speaking, just keep the keep it all moving and it'll be it's sort of, you know, like water. It finds its level. It finds its spot. Uh, yeah. And as yeah. long as it's still moving, everyone's fine. Yeah. It, it, living here is certainly different than living uh, in Redondo Beach, where, uh, you know, somebody somebody who was on uh, a bike with 105 parts was obviously new to cycling because everybody who'd been at it for a while had at least an Altegra bike, uh, if not Dura-Ace. That, that portion of Southern California is not like the real world. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Um, cool. Well, uh, speaking of bike stuff and parts and whatnot, how about the Paceline Picks? Well, uh, In honor of our 300th episode, I want to step all the way back uh, to get out of the minutia of the gear that I we talk about all the time and pick a bike uh, that absolutely transformed the way I think about bikes. Oh, and that's my original seven Axiom SL road bike. Uh, I got this bike in 2012, maybe 13, I think. I forget exactly when, but not that long after I started working at seven. Uh, and it was the bike that taught me the real difference between a self fit stock bike, which is what I had ridden up to that point and a (laughs) measured fitted custom bike. Uh, that bike was the Cinderella slipper for me. Uh, it helped me understand in experiential terms, what all the little nuances of custom frame design mean when they're underneath you and the wheels are spinning. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how many miles I have on that bike. It's a lot. I rode a lot of what we might call proto gravel on it with 28 millimeter (laughs) tires. Uh, It's a rim brake bike. Uh, It's an absolute rocket. If you configure it that way. Uh, I love everything about it. It may be the last true road bike, whatever that means that I ever buy. Mm. Um, 
I just want to say, I think custom bikes have a mystique. And of course, many people people view them as expensive, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, expensive, though, is a, a judgment of the value of a thing. Yeah. Um, but given what stock bikes cost now, the <laughs> difference in cost between a high-end stock bike and a custom bike is kind of nominal in a lot of cases. It has really shrunk. Yeah. 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 Uh, for me... Uh, if you're going to invest in a bike, you want to ride for a decade. And frankly, that's what I think most people should be doing. <laughs> Buying mm-hmm. bikes mm-hmm. that they view, they can see themselves riding for the next 10 years. Then putting that money into a well-designed, well-built custom bike, I think, is a good idea. Seven, going back to this specific bike, but Seven has hundreds of years of custom bike building experience in their shop. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a big crew of lifetime craftspeople. Obviously, I don't work there anymore, but I would still highly, highly recommend letting them build you a bike. Yeah, they are uh, They are pretty exceptional at that. The very first custom bike I ever rode came from Seven. It was uh, the first bike they ever made that was reviewed. Um, I take a little bit of pride in that. Um, it, yeah, it utterly changed what I thought uh, the value of custom was. You know, what what's the real payoff in terms of buying a custom bike? You know, you can buy a titanium bike or you can buy a custom titanium bike. And buying something made to measure uh, frame builder Richard Sachs is very, very deliberate in saying made to measure, not custom. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, for some po- folks, that's a kind of semantic thing um, because we equate custom with made to measure. Um, I'll say that seven does take it a step farther than an awful lot of builders can because uh, they are selecting you know, tube diameters and tube budding, um, you know, on a person by person basis. So they have a a level of customization, uh, that a lot of steel builders can't quite, uh, equate. Um, they don't, they don't have quite the, the same, uh, flexibility there, but I got on that axiom and, uh, I remember writing in the review that I thought that that bar, that bike could have been made out of steel rebar and it would still <laughs> have just been exquisite in its ride. Just having the balance, right? The reach, right? Um, there's, there's a whole lot more that can be done today with production bikes in terms of making them fit, uh, you know, uh, fit optimally. Um, but there's nothing quite like having a bike built for your specifications. Um, and I, I'm with you on that. Yeah. Special stuff. Very special. Yeah. Uh, my pick this week draws from uh, two books, one of which I re- referenced earlier in the show, Zen and the Art of Road Bike Maintenance, as well as Zen and the Art of Mountain Bike Maintenance. Uh Leonard Zinn is a friend, I'm pleased to say, and his depth of knowledge uh, about working on bikes is truly second to no one I've ever met. Um, the depth of knowledge that he has inform, you know, informs these books in a way that is just 
terribly rare. I've certainly encountered books where um, the author displays uh, knowledge, you know, this much knowledge, uh, and it ends up coming off as they are showing off. Look how much I know. Um, and Leonard's work never, ever comes across that way, even though it's a, a real danger. His tone is great. Um, and his, uh, what is it I'm trying to say here? Uh, his appreciation of what it means to do this work, you know, by yourself is certainly evident as well. One of my favorite things uh, about these books is that he often knows workarounds, has figured out, here's a guy who has actually taught himself things, okay? Mm. <laughs> Credit where due. Uh, he often knows workarounds to common issues that aren't officially sanctioned by the manufacturer, but mm. he's figured out that they work and they are sustainable solutions, not something that after 500 miles, oh, look, that's been rubbing the whole time and now you need a new rear derailleur. He's just never, ever wrong about this stuff. <laughs> and uh, you've truly frequently, if I'm running into a problem with something, I've got both those books. I'll pull them out and look in the index to see if it's something that he has addressed nine times out of 10. Yes. The, the one shame about these books is that uh, the publisher, which is now outside books, used to be Velo Press, part of Velo News. They need to produce a YouTube series based on these books for all the various, you know, ins and outs that he understands showing some of the processes like working on STI levers uh, to have him doing it as opposed to some of the yahoos that I've seen on YouTube claiming to be experts at stuff. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a shame. And I'm sure they'd get great advertising and yeah, I would love to see, these books produced as, as YouTube episodes. Nice. Yeah. 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 Uh, as always, there will be a link in our show notes. Alrighty, John, that's a wrap on another episode of the pace line. Uh, you got anything fun happening this weekend? Um, well, I was at kingdom trails last weekend, oh, that's uh, which right. we never discussed. Will, uh, well, there's going to be a post, uh, on the site today which is tomorrow, but is today. <laughs> uh, there'll be a piece about it uh, and we can talk about it uh, more maybe next week because it was a stellar experience. That's, that's on my short list of places to go and ride. It's, it's way, way up the list. It should be. It yeah. should be. Uh, and I'll just put this out there without trying to spoil anything that I've written uh, or we'll talk about later, but I have never been to a place that is so rideable by so many different ability levels. Oh. Yeah. They somehow manage to make even the hardest sections kind of manageable for riders who you wouldn't normally think are ready for it. Wow. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff you can totally, uh, excuse the term, shred. And then there's a bunch of stuff. If you're not up to it, you can just roll. And it's just been so thoughtfully done and so well put together globally, like the whole area, mm -hmm. uh, that I think 
you know, if you if you're a serious mountain biker and and want to do crazy things, it's it, you're going to have a really fun time. And if you're a beginner uh, and you're a little nervous, don't be because there's so many miles of fun stuff for you to ride. <laughs> cool. So awesome. So this week I'm lying low because I withdrew uh, significantly from the family bank last weekend. What about you? What do you got going on? Uh, I'm getting on a plane uh, to go to Seattle uh, because Jennifer got hit by a car yesterday. Right. Technically she hit the car, but the car turned left in front of her. Um, and uh, she managed to dent the a pillar with her chin. Mm. Uh, yeah, I think that counts as an impact. So I'm going to tend to her some and uh, hopefully she'll be up to riding. I really want to go back to Tiger Mountain and ride. Uh, what is it? East Summit, uh, East Ridge. I forget. There's a, a trail off the top that was just crazy amounts of fun. And I want to go do that again. Uh, mm. Hopefully she's not so sore that that doesn't happen. Yeah. 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 But uh, I'm going to do a little looking after. Maybe we'll talk about that next week, too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, before we go, I want to put in a plug for TCI's other podcast, Revolting, which is, as we've mentioned, a cycling podcast that isn't really about cycling. Uh, the most recent episode I was uh, mixing uh, talked about um, certain plastic objects that are used in certain adult activities. It dildos. Was? That- dildos. Oh. Yes. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. gosh. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that wasn't the pri- for for uh, that wasn't the primary topic of the show, but it did come up. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm. It's being the person who mixes those episodes is always a delight <laughs> because I have to, to tune into different parts of. I can't just listen to the whole thing all the way through, and so I'll drop into a certain point and you know suddenly there's just a word there and it's like oh so we're doing that okay um it is a delightful listen i can say uh we're hoping you like it and if you do please subscribe on itunes or stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts um send us more questions uh we love answering questions if you've got an idea please drop by the cycling independent and put a suggestion in the comments We hope you've enjoyed the show, and if you have, please leave us a good review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It makes us easier for other listeners to find. Until next week, I'm Patrick Brady with John Lewis. Thanks for listening to The Paceline.